Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Good evening, friends. Uh, That song, that song points our direction tonight. And uh, before I before I get into the text and walking toward that, like I just want to reinforce that tonight. The, the purpose of us getting together, like my prayer as I prep sermons for you, as, as we think about programming, as we pray for what you get to experience, is just that Jesus would be front and center. It's why our name is Encounter. Our, our hope is that you have an encounter not with us or not with a band or not with a Bible study but an encounter with the living God of the universe. I mean, these, these words that we come and study together each week, the written word, is supposed to point us to the living word. Like, that's, that's the expectation that I have. And so I've told you this before, but I don't, I don't think of these as like Ben's TED Talks that I get to give on Tuesday nights to you guys. I, I approach the text, uh, usually, you know, Tuesday night, the next day, Wednesday, I'll read the text for the next week. And the question really is, like, God, what do you uniquely want to say through this, not just to the people that it was written to in that time, but to a group of ISU and Heartland and Wesleyan students who are, are living in the year 2023, who are trying to follow you and understand you and want to know you. And so that's the goal. The goal as we approach all of this um, is that Jesus would just be front and center. And I was reminded of this today as I was reading one of just a little book that I was reading, a quote that came out of it is just that we find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he's predicted. In the Gospels, he's revealed. In the Acts, he is preached. In the Epistles, he is explained. And in the Revelation, he is expected. And so I hope you come with that kind of expectation that this isn't, again, this isn't just me doing a presentation for you on scripture each week. or not. It's not me teaching a seminary class we come with the expectation that God wants to do something, that he wants to meet you, that he wants to be known by you. I don't know if you were around last week for Talon's baptism. You know, he talked about in his story about how there was a moment where someone came to him and said, hey, if you were to die right now, uh, how sure are, uh, are you that you would be connected to God, that you would be with God forever? And Talon, what was the number, seven out of ten? Where are you at? Yeah, seven out of ten. He's, he's, and so... Um, Seven out of ten is not a passing grade for that question, okay? Because we have assurance in Jesus, ten out of ten, that we are connected to him. And so I'd extend that same question to you. If you're in a place where I ask that question of you, you know, if something were to happen to you tonight, do you know God? And you're like, I I don't know. I think I do. Then I'm asking you to lean in close. I'm asking you to ask other people. I'm asking you to stay connected with others, because we're in this together, trying to figure out who God is and what we're supposed to do with him. Well, our turning points, where this is the last night of turning point, these turning point series, things that we've been doing, and those have been focused on an individual. I mean, in other words, like, you know, there'll be a, the, a person's turning point in their life when they meet Jesus, and he says something to them, and it changes their life, or there's this decision moment, or, you know, we've talked about Moses, and we've talked about Peter, and last week we talked about Joseph. Um, tonight isn't about a person, Tonight is like a turning point for the universe. It's, it's a, interesting. It comes in Revelation. We're going to be looking at Revelation 21. We're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians also tonight. Um, to get us toward that, that Revelation text, I actually want to start with this text that comes out of 1 Corinthians. This is the Apostle Paul writing to that church, and he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, 
Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It's quite a text. So you have this picture of, you know, Paul trying to get this idea across to us tonight of there's something that's happening now, but there's something very different that's coming. There's a now and there's a then. And in the now, it's like you see through a mirror dimly, but then you're going to see face to face. And now you only know in part, but then oh, you're going to fully know. Some translations uh, cover this. They say, you will know God even as you are fully known by him. All right, so as we look at that a little bit, let me remind you the icons that I have sitting at the top of the screen every week, okay? Just that they, they walk through. This is the story of Scripture. It starts in Genesis, this God creating everything really out of nothing. So God creating all of these different things, his creativity and his wisdom, all of that on full display in creation. And he creates us. He creates men and women in that moment. And now what's crazy is, you know how sometimes we talk, we use the word human as if it's, you know, flawed. I'm only human. I make mistakes, right? Well, actually, when we were at our purest, we were human without mistake, We were like God, created like him in his image, and sin hadn't entered the world yet. Evil hadn't entered the world yet. But that happens in Genesis 3. That's the little skull icon that sits up there, all right? So that's our creation narrative that we understand it. So sin comes into the world. Then we got the weird-looking little baby bubble, okay? That's Abraham. That's that's God giving his promise to Abraham, saying, hey, I'm going to be with you. All these different promises of descendants and the stuff that that was promised to happen to Abraham uh, last week, you know, Joseph is in between him and Moses. You see the little Ten Commandment icon here. That's, that's God rescuing his people out of Egypt through Moses. And I've got, it's not really fair the way that I'm doing this. That little crown represents like all of the priests and kings and prophets that we see in the Old Testament until we get to Jesus. The Messiah comes. So this is a story of scripture that we're walking through. And he lives, he dies on behalf of us. He's resurrected. You see the little tomb, you know, with the rock rolled away. Uh, Pentecost, which follows that, the Holy Spirit given to the church, God's active presence and empowerment in this world given to us. And then this little icon that's second from the last, which represents us. It's the age of the church. That's the age that we live in now. And so sometimes you hear people talk about the end times, you know. What, What I want you to see in this is that we live in, 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 according to Scripture, in the end time. Like, this is the final age. God has told us what, what's coming in front of us. And that's what, again, I'm not going to get weird or mystical or deep or dark into that tonight. I just want to plainly lay out for you tonight that when Paul says, hey, now we know in part, but there's coming a time where we're going to fully know. Now we see through a dim mirror, but, but we're going to see face to face soon. This is what he's talking about. Because on the beginning and the end of this, there's perfection, there's wholeness. But in the middle, there's pain. And that pain has existed for a very long time. I don't, you understand that sermon. I don't have to preach that one. You get it. There's pain and there's brokenness and there's evil that sits in this world. But that's the idea. You know, Genesis 2.17, uh, God tells them this, there's this fruit on this tree that represents death. If you eat it, you will usher death into this world. In Genesis 3, that happens. But God isn't done with us at that point. He continues to reveal himself. He continues to make himself known. 
He continues to provide paths back to him. Through, I know the Old Testament is a bit weird, and I know it can be confusing to read. I want you to read it, though, when you do. I want you to read it through this lens, that God is constantly giving his people a path back to him, constantly, until he's ready to provide the path, which is his son, Jesus. And so we see that story just laid out in Scripture from beginning to end. That's kind of the, the now and the then that Paul is asking you to lean into. You know, so, but you may ask, okay, Ben, this 1 Corinthians passage, we see in a mirror dimly? That's weird language. Well, you guys, you have, all of us have mirrors that are amazing. You have mirrors that show you exactly what you look like, Right? In, in Paul's day, that would not have been the case at all. They, you know, especially for the poorer class, they would have been using polished pieces of metal. I mean, you hold up a toaster, and you can kind of like get a pretty decent idea of your reflection. These guys did not even have that, like, especially in a lower class. They might have had really nice polished brass or glass for the, for the really wealthy. But like here was a picture that I found that might give you an example, okay? A polished piece of stone that could be used as a mirror. So you can see her reflection, right? Kinda. A little bit. So this, does this give you an impression of when Paul says, hey, right now you can see through a mirror, as in a mirror dimly. This is what he's talking about. Right now you can see God a little. You can experience him some. But then it's going to be face to face. Like the difference between knowing somebody through that seeing somebody's reflection through that and the difference of that face-to-face. I also threw down here, uh, because this is just one of my favorite scriptural uh, phrases, it's so poetic, when the King James translated it, they said that now we see through a glass darkly. It's beautiful, just beautiful language. But you get the idea, right now you do not have the full perspective. I told you weeks and weeks and weeks ago, part of us following Jesus and the Jesus-following journey is that we, that, that we live a struggling toward the Lord kind of life. That's what we're called to. What Paul is saying is there's, there'll come a day where there's no struggle. There won't be any struggle to it at all. We will fully know him just like he fully knows us. No barriers that sit between us. It's such a beautiful picture. I think of, uh, when I think of this, I, I think of this one moment. Um, I, I, this, was, this was right after college. Uh, a friend of mine got, who lived out in Phoenix got married and a group of guys all wanted to go uh, to the wedding, but we, were, we didn't have any money, we couldn't fly, so we were like, well, it's all road trip. One dude had this little car, four of us piled in that thing, and we drove like 26 hours through the night, we didn't stop anywhere, out to Phoenix, okay? And it was a blast. Sounds terrible now, but it was so much fun then. And so on the way home, we, we spent the week out there, it was great. Uh, on the way home, uh, none of us had ever been to the Grand Canyon, and we knew it was somewhere north of Phoenix. We didn't know how far, uh, and so we thought, you know what, we don't, we're not on any real time constraints. We were going to drive all the way through the night again back home. So we were like, we could take the northern route and go up like through the Grand Canyon in Utah and Colorado instead of going across you know, New Mexico and Texas and the southern route. And so we asked a friend of ours, we said, hey, how, how close is the, because what we didn't have was an extra day. So the day we were leaving, we asked a friend, hey, how close is the Grand Canyon? He's like, oh, it's close. We're like, how close to Phoenix? And he's like, I don't know, an hour and a half probably? And we're like, perfect. This is before the days of Google Maps, okay? So we're like, that's perfect. We'll be able to spend two or three hours at the Grand Canyon, and then we can just keep driving. 
So, okay, so that was the idea. We weren't going to spend a ton of time there. Well, it's actually four hours to the Grand Canyon, okay? And this becomes a very important detail in the story because we, we only had enough daylight to really spend that amount of time there. And so the moment that, we, you know, like an hour into this trip, when we were seeing distance signs to the Grand Canyon, we were like, that jerk. <laughs> like, it, he had no idea. He just, he just spat that number out. He had no idea how long this was. And so it began a race to see how fast we could get to the Grand Canyon. I mean, we're still an hour away from it as the sun is like super low in the sky and we're all looking at each other and we're like, there is no way we're going to get to see the Grand Canyon. And so, and then it was sunset and we were starting to get closer and we're trying to find entrances to the park. And then the sun was below sunset. So it's like still kind of dusky outside. And we found an entrance to the park and, you know, and the person at the entrance to the park was like, you're coming in right now? And we were like, we are. And they're like, well, you don't have to pay anything because you're not going to be here very long. And so we busted into the park and we get to the top. And by the time I got to the edge of the Grand Canyon, I could not see the bottom. Okay? It was that dark. You know, it's like I could, I could make out features of the Grand Canyon generally. I could see lights of other things. I'm sure ranger stations and other stuff on the other side. And, like, and I got to tell you, my experience there was really cool and beautiful. Okay? <laughs> but, I, like, if you, but if the average person comes up to me and says, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I've, I'm like, oh gosh, I got to tell the story now. Because the answer is kind of, sort of. I mean, yeah, I've stood at the top of it. I've never really seen the bottom. I couldn't see the features of most of it. It's like, I saw the Grand Canyon through a glass darkly. That was my experience. And I cannot even honestly tell you that I've seen it. We, you know, we stayed there for about a half an hour until it was pitch black and we couldn't see anything. And then we drove through Utah and came home. Okay, so you ask me, have I seen the Grand Canyon? Sort of. I stood there. You ask me, do I know God? And I will tell you through a glass, dimly, I do. I have seen glimpses of him. He has made himself real to me. I believe in him. I follow him. But I haven't seen him in his fullness in the way that I will. I look forward to that, to being able to experience not seeing him through a glass darkly. I can't wait for that. Because we still live under the effects of sin. You know, Jesus said it, that in this world we'll have trouble, that we struggle against rules and authorities of this unseen world. You guys, you understand it. You know the relational drama between friends. You know stuff that happens in your family. You know that there's brokenness and decay that we sit in that just isn't right. What I'm here to tell you tonight is there, there will come a time, even though it may feel to you like that will never happen, there will come a time where Jesus says, I'll make it right. I will make good on this promise. Just like there was a beginning where things were whole, I will go back and remake them and make them whole again. And he says this, Jesus says this in a bunch of different times, but these two particular verses, these aren't from Jesus, these are from the Apostle Paul, stand out to me. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. And to the church in Corinth, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ 
will be given a new life. He is remaking us. And so now we have a shadow of the thing that is to come. Hear me in this. Like, you have experienced hell a little bit through a glass darkly in this world. You have. The pain and brokenness and separation of sin that you have felt is a shadow, a glimpse of hell. And you ask me, hey, Ben, what is hell exactly? I, I, you guys, I honestly don't know. The one thing I can tell you with clarity is that it's separation from God, who James tells us that every good and beautiful gift that we have comes down from the Father of, of uh, heavenly lights who does not shift like changing shadows. So you also in this world have experienced heaven, or at least a piece of it, through a glass darkly you have, because you've felt love, you've seen beauty, you've seen acceptance, you've seen forgiveness, you've seen grace from other people extended to you. All of those are gifts that are given to us by the Father. Can you imagine how beautiful those things would be in their perfection? And can you imagine how awful things would be with their removal? Jesus says there does come a time where I will make good on that promise, and I will make things right. God says he's moving us toward that kind of a promise. Now, you probably will say, but Ben, is Jesus doing that really? I mean, this just feels like the way things are. It feels like the way things always have been. How in the world could they change? Let me take a walk with you down human history for just a moment, at least the scripturals, scriptural history in terms of what we see from Genesis on, okay? In Genesis 15, I think, let me double check, 15, 13, God tells Abraham specifically, hey, by the way, <laughs> the Israelites, right, he doesn't say it in that phrase, in that form, because that doesn't exist yet, but he says, your people will be afflicted and oppressed for 400 years before I rescue them. He prophesies that to Abraham. Abraham doesn't know what that means. Moses does. Because if you fast forward about 600 years, the people will have been afflicted and oppressed by Egypt for 400 years. And then in Exodus, we see God say, hey, it's time for me to act. Don't miss that. For 400 years, the people lived in slavery. And I bet they felt like you and I do. This is never going to change. This is the way that things are until it changed. In a moment, in a heartbeat, God was like, no, no, no. I know four centuries is a long time to wait, but now is the time that I promised. God keeps his promises. Or you go into, I, this is especially appropriate as we're walking into Christmas time, all right? For a thousand years before Jesus came on the scene, there were all kinds of prophecies about a Messiah that would come. Let me give you just a few. You'll hear some of these verses, I'm sure, thrown around in the next few weeks. Uh, Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That was written 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. Isaiah 9, for us a child is born, to, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. Isaiah 11:1. 1, out of the stump of the line of Jesse will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So now we know that this Messiah is going to come from Jesse's family tree. 
And then Isaiah 11.10, in that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. Now we know it's not just coming from Jesse, it's also coming from David. Isaiah 53 tells us a lot about the kind of Messiah Jesus would be. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins, beaten so we could be made whole, whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own, and the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, led like a lamb to the slaughter. Isaiah 53, 9, he'd done no wrong and had not deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal and put in a rich man's grave. If you know your gospel stories, you know that actually happened to Jesus. A rich man volunteered Jesus' grave. Even though he died a criminal's death, he was buried in a rich man's grave. That was prophesied in Isaiah 53. And Micah 5, 2, you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. You guys, these were memorized, understood, and all of them came to pass. And it didn't feel like it was going to for the people of Israel. Like you and I sitting around today, they were like, I mean, I know the Bible talks about a Messiah, but it's been, like Isaiah was written 678 years ago. When is it going to happen? And then it happened. God looked at it at, at that time and said, now is the time for my son to be sent in the world. He has a way of keeping true to his promises. What he says comes to pass. That's the way it works. And the fulfillment of that is Christmas. So let me give you just some reminders from Scripture about our God who keeps his promises out of the Old Testament. First in Numbers, God's not a man, so he doesn't lie. He's not human, so he doesn't change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Or the other two from Joshua, not a single one of all the good promises the Lord had given to the family of Israel was left unfulfilled. Everything he had spoken came true. And the final one, these are Joshua's dying words. And the little bit that he has left to communicate, this is one of the things Joshua wants to say, soon I'll die going the way of everything on earth. Deep in your hearts, you know that every promise of the Lord your God has come true. Not a single one has failed. Oh, I don't want to go there yet. Not a single one has failed. So I need you to understand that when, when God told Abraham, hey, the people are going to be oppressed, but then rescued after 400 years, he keeps good on his promises. When, when God told Israel, hey, a Messiah is going to come, and he's going to bear the sins of everyone, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to be born of a virgin, and this is what his life is going to look like, and this is what his death is going to look like. It, it took a long time, but it happened, because when God says stuff is going to come to pass, it does. And this is what God has to say about our future. This is our other text for tonight. Revelation 21. This is what you and I are waiting for. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. You need to understand that Jerusalem as a city often represented the people of God. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as Zion, okay? Um, so in other words, that, that may not resonate as much with you, but to a Jewish audience hearing that, that's how they would have associated, oh, this is God's people. 
dressed and adorned for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. So God there is saying, I'm the beginning. I'm also the end. That's who I am. This is the promise, friends, that sits out in front of us. In other words, there's going to be a second Christmas. There's going to be a second Christmas. There'll be a time when Jesus comes back again, but his purpose will be different. The first time that he, he came, he came to take away our sin problem. He came to redeem his bride, his people. He came to draw us to himself. He came to reveal his love to us. He came to show us how we could live on this planet as well, to model that for us. The second time he comes, the second Christmas will not be for the same reason. It'll be to take his bride home with him. That's why he's to come. Hebrews 9.28 says, He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who were eagerly waiting for him. He's coming back to make all things new. Right now, my journey to know God, to understand him, to chase after him is a struggle. It's a struggle toward the Lord. God, I want to know you, but it feels like there's still this veil that's between us. I know that there isn't, but it feels that way because sin still reigns in this world in some ways. But God's like, no, 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 no. There comes a time where you and I will see face to face, where you won't have to look through a glass darkly anymore where you will be fully known even as you, you were fully know even as you are fully known. Don't you want that? I mean, like, I know there's all kinds of stuff you want right now, and some of you may not resonate with that. I think your deepest need is to be seen, to be loved, and to be known. Those are the things that you want imperfectly right now that will be met in their perfection in what God is talking about here. So, I need you to understand tonight. I need you to understand that this isn't just wishful thinking. <laughs> like Joshua reminds us, when God says he's going to do something, he does it. And Jesus was real clear about he, he said things like, I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that when I return, you can be with me. He said things like, my father's house has many rooms. One of them's yours. He said things like that he was the bridegroom and we were the waiting bride and that we should be ready for that wedding. Revelation also talks about this party as a wedding feast when we get to see Jesus again. And so again, if, if I hit this, the question that we hit at the end of all of this is, okay, what in the world do I do with all of this information? All right, I've, I've thrown a lot of scripture at you tonight. What do I do with this? You guys, the action points here are incredibly easy, simple, and I hope encouraging to you. First, with a heart of thankfulness, gratitude, acknowledge and worship the God who has rescued you. I hope that you hear in this that the heartbeat of the God of the universe is to be with you, to make himself known to you, to come after you. You say, well, what do I do with that? Be thankful. 
be grateful, respond to that love. What a beautifully simple action point to come out of this, right? That we get to know and respond to the God of the universe and live in that grace. The second one, with eager anticipation, look forward to a time where you will fully know as you are fully known. I have an annoyance a little bit sometimes when revelation is taught in the church because it freaks people out. It's like, well, we got these dragons and prostitutes and all this imagery, and it's like God revealed this message to John that I'm going to tell you he had a hard time putting into human language because it was so bizarre. And it, I mean, it's be- don't get me wrong, I'm not poking fun at it. It's beautiful and it's meaningful and it's worthy of study. But what I'm telling you, the larger message of Revelation is that a time is coming where God will be rejoined with his people. He will make all things new. He will redeem. He will restore. And when he says something is going to be done, he does it. And you can rest in that certainty. And so instead of that producing fear or anxiety in you, it can produce hope. It can produce a sense of peace that all of the justice does not depend on you. It depends on him. Okay? There's a peace. And there's one last piece here of what we do with this. With dedication, we can work to do in part what he will one day do in full. So you might be tempted in looking at that and being like, oh, good, God's going to make it right someday, so I don't have to. Actually, you are co-restorers with him. That's who we are. What did Jesus do when he came here? He healed people. What did Jesus do when he came here? He, he ministered to the people who were broken and the vulnerable. He loved on them well. He cared for them deeply. Why? Because we should do what we can in part until God does his full work. That's why when Jesus prayed in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, you guys should be making God's, dragging parts of God's kingdom to earth right now. And when you minister to each other, when you reach out and meet a person's need, when you minister to the least of these, as Jesus would say it, you're doing exactly that. So God, you cannot do it in fullness. And so I I hate to tell you this, but if you have put your hope in, oh, we can end the homelessness problem. Oh, you know what? We can end poverty in this world. Oh, you know what? We can end like hunger. Um, I, I would tell you, and not to be the pessimist in the room, I don't think you can in its fullness. I think you should try. I think we should try. I think we should care about those causes, and I think we should dive into those things. But if you believe that you will fix poverty, there's a deeper problem that sits underneath it that is the broken human condition that only God himself can get to. But here's what I'm saying. Like, my encouragement to you shouldn't be a discouragement there. Try. In our town, you may not be able to fix every problem. Fix the ones that you can. Fix the ones that God puts in your proximity. Love the people that you can. Do in part what God will do in fullness. And trust that he'll make good on his promise. Last thing that I give you guys tonight is you hear about Jesus' birth this Christmas. You're going to see it all over the place. You're going to hear about it all over the place in the next few weeks. I just want you to remember there's a second Christmas coming. And just like all that prophecy about the first Christmas was true, what's coming in the second Christmas is true as well. And I want it to fill you with hope and eager expectation and a sense of peace and a sense of joy.
The Jewish people, when they were singing songs about a Messiah, didn't realize just exactly what they were rehearsing. And as you sing songs about the Messiah, you may not understand what you're rehearsing either. But we get to join into that hopeful joy together anyway. Stand with me, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray um, that what sits out in front of us of hope and joy and anticipation uh, would bring a sense of peace to this room. Thank you for your character, for who you are. Help us to meet you in worship right now and worship you the way that you deserve. Thank you for the baptisms we get to celebrate tonight. Thank you for going out in front of us, Christ. Thank you for being a God who stays true to his promise. In your name, Jesus. Amen. encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.